Hey, Nate, thanks for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for inviting me, Brandon. Yeah, this is an exciting opportunity, exciting topic that I think is very relevant and pertinent to what's going on in the markets today. Uh, and so what we're going to be talking about is how do we think blockchain, crypto, NFTs, that entire environment, huge environment, but we'll break it down for people, keeping it simplistic, not, not, uh, not too theoretical, right. and try to help them understand how this will impact the digital marketing space. And what I'd like to do here is try to give people the secret sauce. And what I mean by that is if I'm a digital marketing firm, I'm growing, maybe, you know, like I said, small to medium-sized business, what should I do to kind of get prepared for this? What are things that I can start educating myself on, toolkits and tool sets? Because do I want to invest a ton of money and, and opportunity and effort and resources into something like this right now if the infrastructure isn't there? But we'll get to that. So I'm going to give you a quick shout out for what you're doing and where you come from. Uh, you're the founder at Origin Story Forge, co-founder at Stealth Mode Blockchain, advisor at ABC Global. Uh, I mean, what haven't you done? You've got extensive history in cybersecurity, television, healthcare, and now blockchain technology. So what is it you do exactly? <laughs> <laughs> I get that question a lot, unfortunately, uh, and fortunately, but... Uh, thanks again for inviting me on, and um, you know, this is an exciting time. So, in my background, I've, I've, you know, it's been technology, marketing, creative, um, government, like you said, healthcare, uh, a lot of healthcare. I've had a couple agencies in the past, creative agencies. Um, you know, I've worked as a software developer. I've worked as a network engineer, network management uh, specialist. I currently help to run uh, an award-winning um, managed cybersecurity services company called Fortify 24 by 7. So yeah, I've got a lot of depth in IT and technology. And then on the blockchain side, um, actually in one of the, the agencies that we had in the past, we spun out some blockchain technology because we saw how blockchain about eight years ago was going to affect everything. So we started out with a technology using blockchain to secure people's health information. Okay. Um, and allow them to, you know, make claims about their health information based on the provenance of where that information came from, um, from their providers, right? In a nutshell. So, um, you know, that is actually kind of the genesis of a lot of the thinking around, you know, the area that we're in today with NFTs, what we do there. So, um, yeah, yeah. In a nutshell, this sort of progression and these different sort of inputs of experience that have kind of brought brought me and, and my team to this place to where we can kind of play uh, and experiment and do some cool stuff. So okay. And, and if people don't understand exactly what you just said, what I, you know, we've we've done introductions on NFTs, we've explained blockchains, cryptocurrencies to a degree. And while this is really starting to get a lot of coverage, it's still the infrastructure still isn't there yet. And I think that's what a lot of people need to understand how in the blockchain stuff in the blockchain, because we see that it'll have a tremendous impact on our market. So we won't go through healthcare and the, the disenfranchised and decentral. We, we don't, this, that's not what this video is. Um, sure. What, what I love is your overlap with creative, with digital marketing, mm -hmm. with brands, with television and all those things. And blockchain is NFT specific. Sometimes, you know, when you say that, you know, what do you do, Nate? Um, in, in a nutshell, I tell people I'm a business artist. Okay. I mean, I know With it sounds software kind of background. silly. Well, yeah, because, you know, or, or um, like a, 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 future, a, a futurist or an engineer, futurist engineer or something like that, or a, 
a technical marketer. I mean, that's the thing is I've got all these sort of experiences in this sort of overlay, overlaying, overlapping experience in, in, in media, you know, with working with a, a, a two-time Sundance winner, you know, for a number of years, all the way on to rolling out electronic health record systems at a major U.S. university hospital, right? Yeah. I mean, those are extremely different things, but if you look at where there is overlap uh, amongst all those things, it's people, right? Yeah. And people, uh, their needs, desires, um, their behaviors, you know, marketing, you do marketing internal uh, in an organization just as much as you do externally, you know, when you're doing culture change or you're doing big roles out of technology or changing things. So that's another interesting thing about this whole space to me is that it represents an opportunity to use the, you know, the emergence of crypto technologies in these contexts where they haven't been used yet. And they're going to be used. And I mean, it's inevitable. It's just, uh, can we help shape that? So for the sake of people listening, and we'll, we're going to make an assumption, blockchain really is about decentralization. Blockchain is about efficiency, speed of exchange, uh, facilitating quicker change, quicker processes, things of that nature. Governance. So let's go with that governance. So let's go with that assumption. How seismic do you think that blockchain will be on the digital marketing side, advertising consumer to brand or brand to consumer engagement? Because Blockchain's talking about removing the intermediaries, removing the middlemen, talking about Google, Facebook, things of that nature. They could between the brand and the consumer and that one-to-one. How seismic do you think that's going to be? The second question, the timeline for that seismic shift. Sure. No, I mean, it is. It's totally a, a, a paradigm shift in the sense that um, this whole shift from web two to web three, I think we've kind of talked about it before, right? Where web two saw, you know, APIs and, and web, the, the, the web opening up in ways that facilitated cross-pollinization and new value from, you know, uh, having something being greater than the sum of the parts. Really All spurned from the dot-com bubble. That's the, the dot-com bubble, right, exactly. Web two okay. being what we really know today. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, and, and the progression, right? Like we used to use, passwords and usernames for every single site that we went to, right? But now I can use my Facebook or my Google login to log in and establish accounts or log into services. And they're relying on Google or one of those other organizations having a governance process to create an identity for me that they trust, right? And the technology that they use at the time during Web2, early Web2, didn't really exist. That's one of the elements that is germane to Web2, just like applications programming interfaces with software as a service platforms, right? Where they're providing access to their functionality or access to data within their platform, right? And this kind of changes it because it now adds another layer on top of all that, right? It doesn't throw it all out, it's, it's additive. And that's how the engineer's been, or the, the internet's been engineered, right? To be tiered, layered, we can replace some layers and tiers with a better technology. So now with Web3, we have the ability to layer this effectively this providence technology because that's really what web tech or web three blockchain you know all this stuff is all about providence. define providence technology real quick well provenance right provenance we want to establish the, the source of something right okay um at, at my company uh full gv we specialize in taking provenance technology and tying it together with the blockchain right i want to take an object and put something in it to ensure that it is um, authentic 
And then I'm going to tie that to a blockchain and use that blockchain as the record tied to that physical thing that now I can say with certainty that this object is authentic, not only because I can determine its physical authenticity, but to the fact that it's tethered to this certificate authenticity. The Just theme, like the what title. your bank would do for a bank ledger. If you deposit money, they want to verify that it's yours and know that it's yours. And they have a governance it. process. Exactly. So it's really just the but, but they are a, they're an organization, right? That does exactly. this. And that's where decentralization comes in and gets interesting because now we have cryptographic yep. means through which to govern processes. And rather than putting a governance body in place, we can use the participants and sometimes a private network, sometimes a public network where transactions happen that everyone can agree to are, are, are valid, right? So in, in a sense, blockchains are databases, right? That's yep. really all they are. Yep. But they're not databases where you're going to dump all of your CRM and all of your records in. Really what you're storing in a blockchain database are attestations or important changes or uh, capture uh, important uh, states, right? State of some value or state of an account, right? Um, your account value never changes, right? It's a log, it's a longitudinal record, right? What is a longitudinal record? Health records yeah. are longitudinal, right? Birth your heart rate, when I took it, doesn't change. I may have made an error in taking the reading, which is actually an additional record suggesting that this was erroneous, but I never get rid of that, right? It's longitudinal. And those are the kind of things that we want to do with objects, right? We blockchain are is really great with that data access, but what people don't understand, a lot of people, is that for data storage, the blockchain just is not able to, to manage that. Generally, we're not degree. doing data storage. We do off-chain storage, right? Yep. Or there are blockchain solutions specifically um, created to create storage networks, um, files, you know, Filecoin, things like that. Um, you may have heard of IPFS mm -hmm. too deep in the weeds, but that's, in, <laughs> yeah. if you're, if you're doing anything with NFTs or you're doing anything with blockchain, understanding IPFS is important because what it does is it takes data, a file of any sort, an image, um, a video, uh, anything, and it creates a hash out of it. And a hashing function in computer science is a very common thing. It's used all the time. Everybody. It's like a know, signature. Right. Well, it's a it's an algorithm that you can run backwards and forwards. When you run it forwards and get a hash, you can take that hash and run the algorithm backwards and get the file back out of it. Okay. Well, now now we're definitely getting into the technical. That's so, what I'm saying. That's yeah, that's how yeah. that's how Bitcoin, so, like all of these all of these technologies, work that way. So the importance of that though is that I can take a file and I can get a unique signature. Yes. That is the same, even if I took a copy of the file and tried to create another hash of it, it's going to produce the same hash. Okay. Does that make sense? So now if I'm like Beeple and I've done this, you know, $70 million piece of art, right? Which is, um, and there's an NFT, you know, the backstory NFT that was sold at Christie's earlier this year for 68 million, sold on the secondary market for 70 million. I actually met the guy who owns it at the Bitcoin conference. We were talking all about it. But the point is though, that how do, how do you prove that you own a $70 million JPEG? Yeah. Right. Uh, this guy's first 10 years of his of his Instagram post. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what NFTs do. NFTs aren't the art. It's not the content. All NFTs are. Are the deed or the title yep. that is just metadata, right? Data about the thing that has been 
cryptographically minted into something that's immutable and then on a decentralized, on a, usually blockchain. on a decentralized public blockchain record, right? And, and for those who don't know, private blockchains are just typically AWS, Google, and they're implementing these very well. Yeah, no, private block to be to be clear, private blockchains are when you take this blockchain technology, certain ones, and you can make a an instance of the whole environment inside of your own environment and run mm -hmm. and create a private blockchain for a consortium that's closed. And the, the, the difference is that things on the internet have to work in a way where you don't necessarily have the on-ramps securing who or what people are. So you have to approach it that way. And that's why sometimes transactions are slower on internet blockchains because it has to do more of the internal guts and checking that secures these public networks, right? Yep. You can take that same technology though and apply it inside of a private blockchain. And when you can govern the participants in the network, now you know a lot more about them and yep. you can increase the velocity of how this blockchain works because the, the assurance technology that it has to implement to do that has to work less hard. And that's right. why companies like Walmart have been very successful in implementing this because they can force their distributors to go onto this public, or sorry, this private blockchain and utilize it to get much greater results, access data analytics. But and growing- That's no different than in during history when we were, you know, large enterprises were asking companies to get into um, supply chain management systems and run their billing. And, you know, so it's, it's a similar pattern. It's not exactly the same technology. Um, and it gets interesting because of the ways that it's open and standardizable and, and actually will reduce friction rather than those other cases where it actually added work and they had to bring more people in who understood these systems and stuff like yeah. that. So, so that dynamic is also gonna change as we start to embrace these things. So let's roll back out of the rabbit hole. Let's crawl out with Alice. <laughs> and, but I love it because you and I can talk about this stuff all day. Going back where we forked off, which was the web 2.0, web 3.0. Web uh -huh. 3.0, as you mentioned, being an evolution of web 2.0, it's not a, uh, trash it and throw it out. It's an evolution. Right. What does this technology, now that we've explained a little bit better, what does that mean for digital marketing? What does that mean for consumer to brand engagement? Well, I mean, the crux um, is for the marketer to understand that anything you're going to do in the Web3 space, right? If you're going to embrace this blockchain stuff generally, if you are going to use NFTs in your marketing mix somehow generally, you have to be cognizant of wallets, right? Of Blockchain wallets, it's like one of the first things you want to understand because the usability and the experience that the audience has is very wrapped up in that. It has a huge effect on the velocity of your campaigns, uh, what you're doing. And what the wallet is, it's in, in any blockchain system, the wallet is the client side software essentially or, and client side standards that dictate how a user or a holder of an asset in any given blockchain interacts with the blockchain or how software or websites that they're using that are based on this technology will interact. And let me give you an example, right? There's but I mean, for layman, the wallet is really just a storage device. So I have unstoppable domains, which are web 3.0 decentralized domains, right? I've got, you know, ether, I've got Ethereum, I've got, uh, I've got NFTs. And uh, a sample of that is like MetaMask, right? Or what are some other wallets where if I was a user yeah. or a company and I had to set up a wallet, where would I? That's where, where I, I was go? going, right? That's okay. what I was going to say. Well-known mask is, or wallet is MetaMask, right? Yep. MetaMask is made by a company called Consensus. 
um, a, a, a very venerable player in the space. They have a lot of products and projects under their belt. So a very but, safe place to start. Yeah, well, you know that, um, I mean, and again, in this space, like if you're thinking about working with these assets and just downloading software off the internet, that's all of a sudden playing with thousands or tens of millions of dollars, right? Um, you want to make sure you're getting the stuff from the right sources and the right kind of people. So yeah, I mean, they're a trustworthy entity in this place. Um, MetaMask is probably the most widely used Ethereum wallet, right? There are different blockchains. Bitcoin, right, is really just for storing value. Ethereum has a component of storing value, but then it also has a component of programmability. And that's why most NFTs these days are built on Ethereum. There are other blockchains like Ethereum. But for your wallet, you got to make sure you have a wallet that works with the blockchain you're working with. There are some wallets out there that work with multiple blockchains. But let's just talk about MetaMask. You know, um, there are uh, other blockchains that MetaMask will work with, but we won't get in the weeds there. Um, what the wallet does is, like you said, it's a database, but really it's a database of your picture of the Web3 space that you have possession of. Um, the wallet when you create it, we'll have a unique address that's unique in the network. Let's, we're talking about Ethereum right now. So there's a unique Ethereum address for this wallet. Just like when that those NFTs get minted, and we'll talk a little bit more like that, they then have a unique address, right? And it's almost and like that Ethereum address is, think of it as like your bank account, but you can store these NFTs. You can store actual Ethereum value. You can store these decentralized domains from unstoppable domains. Everything has an address yep, and, you and you can store, store this address wallet. inside of this address, but you're not storing it in it. What you're doing is you've told the, the blockchain that this item belongs in this wallet. It's not ever actually in your wallet. Yeah, it's yeah. your wallet is reading this from the blockchain when you turn your wallet on, right? And everyone else can see this on a public blockchain. So that's why that distinction between public and private is interesting. Cause now as you start to think about, well, okay, I have a, an asset with a known address and I have a wallet with a known address that, by the way, um, obscures my identity. And that's another important part to understand about Web3 as a marketer, certainly when you're thinking about data management and GDPR and stuff like that. Ostensibly, you can establish that someone can prove whether they've been someplace, something that they have that they have some amount of value in a wallet, um, that they attest to something using this wallet as just a looking way at the transactions of mediating that conversation of this person agrees to this thing without even necessarily knowing their identity, name, address, phone number kind of stuff, but knowing that they exist and or knowing that they can present proof of who they are to the extent that you need using these mechanisms. And why is that important? As marketers, um, you know, we've all know, we all know the amount of acuity that we've lost thanks to the increased uh, attention to privacy by Google and companies, um, which is, is uh, you know, the information that they would share with us about site visitors or their activities, right? And we've, we've gone out and we're starting to develop ways to, to make up for that, but that's where the paradigm shift is here. That's the, okay. that's the key nugget is that we have an even more deterministic way of identifying individuals, but without identifying their personally identifiable information. And for the record, it took us about 25 minutes to get to the paradigm shift. I expected it to take longer. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we did a good job. So what no, we're talking good. about is digital marketing firms, uh, brands, middle, 
men intermediaries have made a robust economy out of this data usage that they get from us being on Facebook, from us engaging with advertisements, from us doing anything and everything. There's a whole economy in it, right? Now with Web 3.0, what does that mean if that data is obscured or veiled or in that Well, I don't mean that. I mean, sort of like, like take this for instance, right? There's a, a, um, a, a thing called a POAP, right? A proof of attendance protocol. Yep. And this, this came out of some people getting together and that's kind of being more productized now just in the past week. It's been around for several months, but what you would do is you'd say, hey, I'm gonna have an event and I need a thousand of your unique codes, right? Now you go to the event and you can dole these codes out at the event. And the to an individual, to, right? To an individual, right? And they take that code uh, URL and they can claim an NFT that says that they were at this event. Right. So sure. Somebody could share the link, but there's a number of mechanisms for making that, that part happen. But the fact that you can have someone at an event who can claim a cryptographic asset and which then winds up at their, their wallet address, whether or not I got their information or their picture or any of their private information, I wouldn't want to, I know that they were at that place. And I know that that wallet address is valid. And once I know a public wallet address with, with crypto assets, you may have heard of this terminology called airdropping. Yep. Okay. Airdropping means that somebody is taking a crypto asset and putting it in your wallet because they know your public address. I think a big one that at least that I saw and watched was Uniswap was a decentralized exchange and whoever used it, they got 14 or 1200 Uniswap tokens that now I think each one of those are worth $26 probably right now. Yeah. And I think originally they were three or $2. Well, this is pennies probably. And this was direct. And think about the, well, people might not understand Uniswap. Think about Coca-Cola, sorry, uh, minting a phenomenal Genesis style style product or or NFT that they give to somebody because they bought a certain number of Cokes or they saw a Coca-Cola ad and shared it with other people. And with the analytics that we're seeing, you can see how long they actually viewed it and how large was it on the screen? And Coca-Cola can say, you know what? Nate is a pretty damn good customer. Or We're wallet gonna... address XYZ PDQ is a pretty good customer. I don't care if it's Nate, right? I just know that this person or this, the owner of this wallet address is exhibiting these behaviors. And I now without having to identify them personally can attempt to entice them with offers, with coupons that come in the form of NFTs. That come in the form of of um, that type of stuff. So I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah that's, I, mean, I mean, that's like well, and what crypto and blockchain enthusiasts like us love is I got into it about seven or eight years ago when I found out about Bitcoin and tried reading the white paper. I didn't understand a gosh darn thing it was saying, but over time I started to learn that this really is about at least in the early crypto age is about that decentralization about owning the data, owning yourself, owning your world in a, in a way. That's where like default. Well, what is ownership? Is ownership is just a matter of establishing the provenance and the claims of ownership, right? I mean, you got to have some kind of governance or provenance around, you know, how you can establish that ownership, right? Like when you have a car, you have a title. Yeah. Right? When you have a house, you have a deed, right? But um, going back to the practical, does that then mean that the paradigm shift is that Coca-Cola, and I hope they start uh, you know, advertising on this because we've talked about them enough. Does that mean Coca-Cola has a relationship 
with a wallet that has an individual behind it and it's direct one-to-one. Is that the paradigm shift that you really see? Yeah, well, there's that and the fact that I don't need to have their personally identifiable information to reach them. I don't need to have their email. I don't need to have their name. I need to have their phone number. I can tell how much is it values in that wallet. I can see every transaction that wallet's ever done on a public blockchain, right? At least on Ethereum, that's how it works, right? So can, look at the pros and cons of the consumer then from that perspective. The pros are you're not, companies now aren't going to as easily be able to profit off of my data is the belief, right? Uh, but the other uh, con might be that they, the consumer now, uh, might not be what they're presented with might not be as tailored as they might want or what do you see as no the no part? i wouldn't i know i wouldn't i wouldn't say that at all as a matter of fact um it's more tailored it's it, it could potentially be more tailored and again without knowing the identity of the individual so if you think about all of the laws that govern you know what a marketer has to do gdpr right yeah. i mean mm-hmm. it, it, you're not even in the jurisdiction and you're still subject to it right so you know, if I can have a relationship or a conversation with an audience or a member of that audience or a customer without having to know specifically who they are, I'm already ahead of the game in terms of cost and managing um, that, that particular situation, right? If, if the, the, the person decides that they don't want to be in my database anymore, they're just not in my data. They never were in my database, really, right? And, and that's, that's the that's the sort of paradigm shift and, and the, the thinking that people need to wrap their head around to understand the implications, because then there's also financial implications that we definitely don't want to go into here, but yeah. um, you know, there's lots of, lots of things to think about, but you know, on the flip side, it's still early, right? It's a lot, there's a lot of opportunity to create solutions um, for innovation of all sorts as we make this transition or as this web three becomes more and more prevalent in our experience of how we, we interact with the world around us. Cause it's and, not just digital. Yeah. And, and the, for the brands and the digital marketing firms that represent these brands, there's a belief that it's, it is more tailored and that it is much more efficient because it is direct for the, for the brand. Where do you think the value is in a blockchain web 3.0 world i think that um it's 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 an opportunity to get educated around the future of ownership i think it's uh an opportunity to to look at um the demographics and psychographics around you know how people buy what they value and then how you can allow them to communicate their values through the products that you make right but don't we already have a system established that does that really well, so we do. Does... Sure. I mean, let's say I'm a wealthy individual and I'm buying, I'm buying vehicles, right? I mean, you can't, you, you might be able to see through Instagram that I have this Ferrari, but there's nothing about what I'm presenting online necessarily that, that says that I own this thing. And, and, and that's what these mechanisms allow us to do is to cryptographically prove claims of ownership or claims of presence or claims of attendance. So it's really about, again, governing those claims and how the value of those claims match up with your marketing objectives, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and thinking about, you know, can I, can I, well, I mean, use Coke for example, right? People have been collecting Coke stuff for years, right? Before yeah. NFTs existed, right? So validating that something is authentic, right? That's a provenance step, right? Establishing authenticity and carrying that authenticity forward 
with using some kind of certificate of authenticity is, is a governance step around establishing authenticity and provenance, right? So think about how that works with any types of assets that you could create and, and, and sell or make available to fans of your brand and how that works, right? And, what and even creating mean. these NFTs for things that are already created. If you have collectibles from Coca-Cola, McDonald's, any of these big firms, Nike. Yeah, no, absolutely. All You're the right. digital can be converted into, I'm sorry, all the physical can be. Tangible items that need to have some sort of tagging applied to them. I mean, that's another, that's the thing that we're working on amongst others, but yeah, no, you're right. Um, and we see this in fashion. You know, I was just literally talking to a fashion, an artist fashion designer this morning, right before we got on the call. And he's like, you know, um, I'm looking at this technology that wants to charge me $10,000 for 10,000 readings of this uh, application to dresses that I okay. want to put it on. And, and I want these dresses to be tethered to an NFT. So I can use the NFT as a digital version of it and also to establish its provenance and also mm -hmm. to carry forward as a certificate of authenticity of this thing in perpetuity. So now I got to put something on the garment that's going to survive washings potentially, going to survive aging, um, uh, can't be counterfeit, can't be right. Um, and that's that's kind of the zone that we're in with, with things. And as you point out, I mean, that's once, once people really realize and there's a uniform way to establish these things and read them and use them kind of like a UPC code yeah. is on, yeah. on can of beans, you know, that's not down to the item object level, right? It's only down to the product, if you will. It's the same number, right? It's not a serial number, but that's what blockchains allow us to do is now add a serial number to the metadata of that object and then potentially tie any object to a uniquely digital, digital thing that has features that you can add to it, that mm -hmm. has secondary market features that you could potentially put on it, which has um, philanthropic and or um, um, social impact features that you can add to it. I mean, I know a lot of NFT projects are incorporating um, um, value, ways to flow value to carbon offset programs and forest restoration stuff. I know Cardano, uh, yeah. their blockchain, they have like a Cardano forest now, yeah. I don't know if you saw that, but so that's what I mean, like in terms of how you can tie those things tangibly to a brand, ocean, uh, is it ocean model, another, we, we have a client that wants to put some art on a bottle and give them away as, as, as gifts or trophies for achievements, mm -hmm. um, let's say in sustainability for a group of employees, right, and they want to make those things tied to a blockchain so that there's this, this connection but then also for that associate, they can actually have a badge show up on their, their company profile, allowing them to signal the fact, right? That they support this other thing and they have a tangible item to show for it as well. So again, thinking about the future of ownership and values and how all of this ties into the marketer. Um, <laughs> I, I hate when my watch does that, it thinks I'm talking to it and I'm not. <laughs> But uh, you get the picture, right? I mean, yeah. the way that you can start to integrate and bind these things in and provenance and um, track and trace, but then also, again, separating people's identity from it in a way that makes them comfortable, makes the regulators comfortable. So essentially, oh. the wallet becomes your identity as opposed to you personally. Exactly. And that's what and, decentralized identity yeah. is about, right? And, and the and Web 3.0 and the blockchain and all of it is really just a more efficient, hopefully, maintains its decentralized state 
of the current commerce we have. Everything physical could be turned digital. And all of that just provides for engagement or what we call the frictionless economy, right? The fact that things can exchange quickly in between. And I think with NFTs right now, really the craze is just a grand speculation. Like somebody found gold in California back when, everybody went there, staked their claim on land. And how many of those actually turned out to be worth something? Well, gold had intrinsic value or perceived intrinsic value. And, well, and, and NFTs will at some scarcity. point. Scarcity. Right? Like ready well, player one. I mean, they do have, and they already have, are perceived that way. I mean, they have value and they're perceived that Whether way. Whether inflated or and not. And that's the thing, like the value, it's not the value, separating the value of the, the subjective value versus the tangible value. Yeah. And I don't mean of tangible objects. I mean, like having a unique, be, being able to represent something unique in a digital form is has tangible value beyond just the fact that it's art today, which is what is seeing the most uptake using that tool, right? Uh, Non-fungible token is, is just another word for token, right? And we're talking about this blockchain space and Bitcoin and all that stuff. We're, we're simply talking about tokenization, right? Yeah. I mean, we all, we've all been carrying tokens for decades and our you know, credit card is a token. And coins. Uh, your, your driver's license is a token, yep. right? And now we're just digitizing those in this new economy. Well, we have we have come up with a way that permits us to do that. Yeah. Right. That's what that's what blockchain does. Right. It um, it, it we've we've demonstrated that with our ability to tokenize value by taking value from fiat currency and buying cryptocurrency with it. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just like we would buy any asset. Um, and you know, without getting into the weeds and the the philosophical <laughs> zone, there, the next order of magnitude shift was the, the ability to take that unique digital asset and add a layer of programmability to it, right? Yep. And that's what Ethereum and some of these other Polygon and Tezos are, are all, so, um, Alana are all blockchains that are popular in the NFT space that permit that. And, and the way I like to explain it to some people is like when Eisenhower, it was Eisenhower, right? That did the, the, the highway, freeway, interstate system. Absolutely. The car was developed and they realized the need for it. Now with blockchain, we're building the interstate. We have the pieces of it. We're building the interstate that allows the data to flow, the exchange to flow. And that really is, so as a marketer representing brands, I understand that right now entities are speculative and they're trendy and that's neat. What should I be doing as an agency? Should I just be learning about blockchains? Should I be going on Rarible and trying to mint NFTs to sell on behalf of my you know, local pizzeria? You know, what, what, what should I be doing right now with a digital market agency to position myself to be prepared for this evolution? If I'm an agency, I would be, if I was like, you mean fresh or just kind of hearing about it, kind of hearing the news about it. You know, I'm, I'm a large firm of 50 plus employees. We've got okay. some great clients and okay. we want to evolve our service offering. Well, I would have them call me. Okay. <laughs> but outside okay. of that. Outside um... of that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I advise that they do that as well. But I, let's say I your appreciate phone, that. Your phone's busy, and they need to go to <laughs> Audible, and you know so they download a book. But, you, know, what should, you can't call. Cessation. Oh, we should talk about books too. That's actually ah, the strategy. Funny. Well, no, that's part of the strategy. That's part of the strategy. So, so if I'm an agency, I'm going to tell you to go look at Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, okay. yep. and his V Friends drop, right? And that's I mean, Vaynermedia, right, right? I'm sorry. He he runs Banner Media. Oh, did we lose you? Nope. 
There we go. Close for a second. Okay. Gary Vaynerchuk of Vayner Media. Of Vayner Media. Yep. Um, look at his V friend, V E E F R I E N D S. V friends. Drop. Um, he spent a lot of time planning that. Which a need to learn that as an agency. I mean, it's it's not just whip out some NFTs and do a, a, a test with your brands. Generally, it's going to be um, put some thoughtful in, intention around it. Um, NFT drops done well are very much like game and or movie and or transmedia projects, right? I'm thinking about um, the audience. I'm thinking about who the most um, potentially activatable members of that audience are. What are they going to be interested in? How can I create some scarcity around this thing? Also think a lot about games, game design, because really at the end of the day, that's what you're doing is you're, you're developing a game. Well, and you're talking about like Ready Player One. Well, no, game in the sense that... Um, like gamification? Ga in, in economics, right? Okay. You know, in the sense that, you know, marketing, when I do a marketing campaign, I'm creating a game. Mm -hmm. I'm creating a game that I want someone to exhibit some kind of behavior or range of behaviors or give me a contact or call me or whatever it is, but I'm playing a game to get them to do that. And I, I might be telling, and I'm using storytelling generally, right, as a method to engage in that game and now that in my storytelling tool toolkit, I have the ability to create unique digital items that, that I can use, A, to activate an audience, but B, later on, even after these things have been created and maybe they've acquired them, yeah. I can allow them to do other things, unlock other things, stand as an attestation of interest, ownership, like special access, things like that. Whatever it is, right? Yeah. Or I know somebody who's got these comments. So, so where we might use a retrospective and a segmentation methodology of slicing and dicing and trying to fit someone into a box that we're going to message, um, we get to do the same thing. But again, we get to do it without having to know their personally identifiable information that puts us at risk in managing. Yeah. Right. Uh, and um, we've got the ability to allow that person to transfer this thing potentially, right? I mean, generally people are trading NFTs and it's because we're, we're doing, we're, we're building things in the way we are because it's what we see and what we understand, right? Until we understand and innovation happens and we can see all the other ways that things can happen. Like if I told you I could, I could put a car down on the street and said, you know, everyone who's got these three NFTs in their wallet can go get in that car and drive it off. I mean, um, you know, pick, pick your operating car share company and they're going to be into that, right? Yeah. Uh, um, or another case where I'm talking about where I'm an agency and I have a client that's a military contractor mm -hmm. and they have to worry about protecting their client from um, foreign spies that show up at the conferences trying to siphon information from the yeah. booth, right? Or coming in and, and presenting themselves as a client, you know, impersonating someone, right? How do I defend against that realistically? Sure, I could send them a golden ticket, right? I could make sure that the, the, the regional manager who deals with this person is there and can positive, you know, there's ways I can do that. Or I could send them something that's, you know, like a unique collector's item, yeah, um, a pen, something well, and, like that. And, and then say, hey, take this pen and claim the NFT. Yeah. And now not only have they take this pen or taken the pen and claim the NFT, 
and established their identity in a wallet in maybe a private blockchain or public blockchain. It doesn't really matter. But my point is that you kind of get where I'm going, right? I mean, what marketer would have ever thought about being able to do that realistically? I mean, yeah. maybe they're doing things like that, but, you know. So really just a frictionless digitized economy is what blockchain is bringing along. Focus on that provenance and on, on limiting personally identifiable information. Those are, so this isn't as complicated as people are making it. It's, it's difficult because the on-ramps and the off-ramps aren't there. That's the problem, but right? But the overall the, blockchain world isn't difficult to understand. No, God, once you're, once, you are on, once you're on the highway, it's, that's the <laughs> point of it, right? Is yeah. that you, you can effortlessly transact. Yeah. And it's no different than when Coca-Cola had those rewards under the cap and you typed in the code and they let you know by email if you want or not. Coca-Cola could have. Those uh, are tokens. Uh, okay. So, but a Cadillac, they could easily, you know, send out quote unquote golden tickets, develop some kind of Easter egg hunt where there's a, a, a Chevy Corvette somewhere. Everybody who makes it there and tries one of those keys will open that Corvette. Like the, like the sword in the stone. Exactly. So as digital marketers working on brands, they, you say they should be reading and they should be calling you. Uh, but really waiting for the infrastructure to be developed, just educating yourself right now. I don't even know that they need to wait. They can participate in building it. Okay, I mean, tell, tell me. And, and actually, you know, there's the infrastructure. And I think the, 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 the biggest missing piece right now is the on-ramps and off-ramps. And the on-ramps and the off-ramps of this space are tied up in a few things. KYCs, know your customer stuff, right? Like That's just identifying can, who somebody is. Well, you can go and establish a wallet once you want to start buying crypto to fund the wallet so you can start transacting, mm -hmm. you got to, you're, if you're a United States citizen, anyways, you're going to come up against the need to establish your identity, do this whole banking rubric that um, we may or may not be used to, like when we're signing up for digital services and, and like, you know, like, like um, QuickBooks or Mint or anything like that, where we're tying our, our bank account to things, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, and then limitations on the instruments you can use to buy it. Like credit card companies might allow you to buy cryptocurrency. Like if you want to buy an NFT, you're going to buy some Ethereum because that's the network it's on, right? Uh, generally. And to do that, you might have limitations on how much you can buy. Oh, you maybe you want to buy a thousand dollar piece of art, but you can only do $500 a day or $500 a week or whatever. Somebody so, might ask that if we have KYC, then then my personal identifiable information is tied to that wallet then at this point. It, it would seem that way, but that's just the way that it is if you do anything with banking in the United States, right? I mean, so it's not personally identifiable when you use that wallet address with another entity. They don't, there's no, um, there's no data broker. They don't have like a big pool at least yeah. that would that would be antithetical if a data broker ever did create databases of stuff like that. But they exist actually. There are open source um, cybersecurity tools that go out and scrape the internet. You know, if they find a, a a public address sitting out on the internet, they just siphon them up. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's we we could get into this. This <laughs> is another whole other conversation about the ins yeah. and outs. Of My that. job is uh, to keep pulling us up, right? I, I know, I know. You might be digging us in there. A little I'm bit. thinking horizontally. You're thinking vertically. <laughs> so, so we've asked this a few times. You've answered it a number of times in different ways. I can, I'm, I'm still here. I'm going to plug in too. I forgot to plug in before we started, so I'm just you no know, problem. I I had to plug in with uh, a lot of coffee before this. So we <laughs> we all need energy. 
So tokenizing so many things and building NFTs as a digital marketing brand, I can start creating these four brands uh, and start building that value for them, letting them know that this is speculative or, or, or early stage, but it's something they get involved in and play with and practice and things of that nature. And we can put in some maybe case studies when we publish this video underneath to show people, hey, look at what these brands are doing. Um, mm -hmm. But what other ways could people continue their education and get a, a good intro into the space? Are there particular websites or the particular, like you said, books or where can I learn about this? You know, um, another great thing to do is get on Clubhouse. Okay. Um, there's a ton of NFT expertise that's flowing on Clubhouse every hour of the day, generally. There's, great, great um, offer, yeah. there's actually another community called the NFTs Tips Community, mm -hmm. nfts.tips. Okay. That. They have a website, um, but they're very active running rooms on Clubhouse and have a lot of great, um, you know, community members. As a matter of fact, I went down to the Bitcoin conference uh, in June because I had started getting active with that community on, on, on Clubhouse about a week before the conference. And I was just like, I got to go because it mm -hmm. seems like the whole entire NFT community is going to be there. So, um, yeah, there's lots of really good artists, lots of folks that are helping onboard artists and buyers. Um, there's lots of great people who are great artists, but new to NFTs. You know, they're already visual artists, so they've been creating visual art or 3D art or music or all kinds sure, of different yeah, things. anything, yep. And they're finding that NFTs are a way for them now to start moving their work, exposing their work. Um, there's a lot of um, inbuilt- Valuing people. their work. I mean, a well, lot of people starting to monetize I mean, it, right? Inbuilt patronage. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the activity uh, uh, buying and activity around NFTs is from people in the community, but I think that's only gonna grow more especially as brands start to take art and apply it to commerce in the way that they always do. Yeah. And, you know, Saturday evening post, right. And Norman Rockwell, you know, just think about, you know, all the different ways that art um, impacts commerce and how they can work together to sort of, you know, yeah. elevate each other potentially, or, or brands that are embracing this stuff to help advance um, social impact. Mm -hmm. Cause you know they're they're you know that's that's one of the things that this one brand I was talking about before who's kind of we're doing an experiment with where we're building a, a private blockchain and internal assets that act like um, awards for achievements or for certain social impact behavior. May or may not be a value, but they're fun. They're interesting. They're engaging. they're fun. They're interesting, and then they're they're also an opportunity to deterministically prove that we had people doing this thing, right? Then rather than just saying like saying and writing checks and taking pictures, mm -hmm. then to have the, the digital proof, just like you might have the digital proof of ownership of that pair of shoes, right? Yeah. Not everyone can see that you have that amazing pair of shoes, but if you have that unique, provable digital version of it that you can share in the digital space, which is, you know, I'm older than you are and you're not that old, and you're still not 22 years old, right? You're yeah. 25 years old and don't think that way or Gen Z don't value things in that way. So we also have to remember to check our, our biases yeah. as marketers it's, and look at who we're talking about and where on the continuum. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that it's accelerating too. Oh, yeah. you know, the, the demographic you know, continuum that we look at targeting people on, I think is starting to 
to change up as well in terms of well that convergence that's happening with quantum computing with well, that too uh, with blockchain uh, with fusion all energy so you know. renewable all it, yeah it, it's all and healthcare records you talk about and disenfranchisement of uh, or helping the disenfranchised decentral all of it is going to happen social quickly. justice yeah so a lot of things are really going to be impacted so as we're buttoned up on an hour here this is your time to prophesize prognosticate whatever it is let me know what you think the next 10 years look like on a continuum. 10 10 let wow me, well what do they say the, the scatter plot graph and how far off you'll be at the 10 year mark is very different than the one year mark. But well, lay out the timeline as you think it might occur. And if we need to delete it in two years, we'll delete it. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I'm always very bullish, but um, the pandemic has made me even more bullish on a lot of things because we're seeing the acceleration. Okay. So that's why it makes these predictions difficult because. Um, you know, the pandemic has just accelerated the adoption of so many things, just like this stuff. So, well, and all those you know, things I, will happen. I, I think what next, uh, what have we done? 2021, 10 years? Give me the 2030, building out year 31, by 30, 31. We're, you know, it's, it's next to impossible to predict. Like, we're not going to we'll go year by year anymore. We're, not, we're really not going to own our vehicles anymore. Okay. Um, we might be living in um, spaces. Um, kind of like Airbnb, except it's more like an apartment or, okay. or rental situation. Um, there's more shared housing. There's more mobility. Um, well, and you're right. Our, That's going to scare the shit out of people. So go our back. Financial to- services are going to be completely different in the way that we transact. DeFi or decentralized finance. Um, I don't know it, but you have people all around you that are moving value out of um currencies around the world and into these crypto assets. And that's going to continue. There's more countries around the world that are going to um, embrace this as a, 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 a valid currency yeah. within their systems. I know today um, they're getting close to approving ETFs in the United States mm-hmm. and Bitcoin has shot way up uh, today. Um, yeah, you know, so I can't imagine what it's going to be in 10 years, but what that's all going to look like. It's probably not going to be as volatile because I feel like a lot of value is going to be moved out of um, fiat or, or into, from other assets and into this. So, you know, it's going to be a whole different picture mindset. You know, think about where we are. Think about where the internet was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty advanced 10 years ago in, in yeah. 2011, right? I mean, it was relatively advanced. Think about it 10 years before that, right? In 2001. Yeah. Was, I remember using it. <laughs> Netscape. Um, and I think, was that Netscape by then? Yeah, you were still kind of maybe 2001 yeah that's when netscape is even more like 2000 is that later? yeah yeah maybe 2001 2005 yeah. in there but you know that, that's i just, just love it. seeing every year the aol discs get higher 10,000 free hours 10 trillion free hours and it now just, <laughs> you have digital money yeah so Who go thought? to 2002 2003 2004 what does the next couple of years look like then if 2031 is asking too much Next couple of years is we're going to see an interesting acceleration in this, right? They call last okay. year the summer of crypto. Last summer, not not this past, but the summer before, twenty twenty. Yeah. Everybody's locked indoors. It's pandemic. They're learning more about it. They're forced to. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Kim Jong Un lost how much weight during the pandemic? You know what he focused on. I mean, it's like people were focusing on things, and yeah. 
And that's why, you know, there's all this crypto activity. And then the second order effect around that was that people realized that, oh, I can tokenize other things, right? Mm -hmm. NFTs aren't new. They've that's where we are right now is, is really the NFT that's where way. we are now, right? Yeah. March of this year, we see some moves. We see the Beeple thing. We see Christie's, um, Gary Vaynerchuk, who, I, like I said before, is very influential. Um, we see celebrities, um, brands. all kinds of people, brands, sports teams. Yeah. Tokenizing uh, professional careers. Yeah. You're right. All, all, well, and we can talk about all the different ways to tokenize things and what that means, you know, okay. realistically and financially. But yeah, this, the, next 18 months, this next 18 months, I think, is we're going to see this convergence of uh, tangible and digital, right? So where you've got the summer of crypto, then you've got artists saying, oh, I can make money creating NFTs of these uh, intangible works of art that I've done, yeah. these, um, you know, images. Now, when we can take provenance technology along with that and create objects that use that same thing and confer secondary market value onto tangible objects that we weren't able to do yeah. and use that global universal governance infrastructure which has been the friction to doing anything like that in the past, right? We, in the record industry, we set up ASCAP and BMI mm -hmm. to manage that. Or in the film industry, we have ways of managing that, but it's never very transparent. And there's plenty of universal complaints about that. So that's an area where I think artists and people making clothing um, and makers that are making creative works, that's gonna be, I think over the next, yeah, so the next two years, I agree. I think it's going to be the highway systems being built, adoptability. I think over the next two years, everything's going to be Usability, user yeah. experience. That's what I was saying about the wallet thing. That is the, the user experience of that is horrible. And, you know, anyone yeah, who's really able to is. innovate on that is going to be, yeah. you know. So we tokenize like everything. We digitize everything, physical and digital assets being created. The infrastructure is being built. So now we're, that's wave three going into wave four. Wave four, does that start to where we look at the metaverse? You think it's too early where we have these? No, the metaverse is happening now too. I mean, um, and it has been, uh, if you've heard of Second Life, yeah. I mean, that's a little, a little five or eight years ago, right? But, um, and video games, I mean, it, those are all metaverses. Those behaviors and those um, models and those modes of interaction have existed. But now they'll all be starting to get connected. So now that's that's another big paradigm shift is the NFTs and things like that standardize the potential of establishing assets that can be used in, in more than one metaverse space. In a video game or mm -hmm. in your Decentraland application, Decentraland is like a an internet metaverse for NFT yep. displays and stuff. So they're not siloed is what you're talking about. Right. Siloed in exactly. That, perfect. Yes. Yeah. It, 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 it busts the silo, which can create additional value. So for wave four and five, we're talking about the, the metaverse and, and usability and adoptability and these siloization. I don't know if it's a great word. I think they're all parallel. I think these things are all parallel. I don't know that they're waves like that. That wave is kind of happening right now because those modes of interaction, at least with digital art, are generating demand to, to create spaces to use it in, to share it, to show it. I mean, that's what um, in March, NBA Top Shots is another good um, NFT drop to look at. Um, okay. 10 days from zero to $800,000, basically making, I think eight, it was um, um, balls for the NBA. Uh, I think it was for the NBA tournament. 
um, got the licensing, got the imagery, got all the stuff. And then they worked with a company called Rare Rooms to create a showcase space because it's nice to have a ball and have the card and say, you I've got it. But when you can start using it and showing it and interacting with it and having people say, oh, can I look at it kind of stuff, just as we would do with any other collectible. We've got all these behaviors and, and potential. So to map this against maybe something like the dot-com bubble, is there, do you think there's going to be this massive evolution of everything that they that can be developed? And then there's going to be a distillation process that comes in four or five years? Or like a consolidation shakeout. Yeah, where, where somebody like a Google comes in or Facebook comes in or people like that and they start to consolidate this, centralize this again. I know a lot of people have compared NFTs to the tulip. Um, you know, that, that sort of craze, yeah. you know, that's possible. We, we don't know, right? Because the, the, the dynamics of this are different. The, the, there's just everything about it is kind of different because of the, 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 the way that it's working. So end with, end with, if I'm a digital agency, should I really start to be doing these type of things? If I'm a digital agency, I'm definitely at least putting some heavy duty research into it. If I'm a, a digital agency, there's a good chance I might be having my customers come to me and asking me about it and asking for my expertise. That's actually a lot of what I do is backstopping traditional agencies with expertise on how to deal with clients, how to answer their questions and how to articulate it and articulate the value. So what we've done in an hour, I could have just said, hey, everybody, welcome. Call Nate if you have any questions about blockchain. Thanks for joining us. No, I don't. I mean, yes, you could have, but that's not, not a value. You know, it doesn't help elevate everyone else's knowledge. Yeah. So I'm all about that for sure. Anything else you want to share that uh, you think is really relevant, things you're working on? Sure. Well, like I said, I mean, I've, I've got all kinds of crazy things and it's, it's a very innovative space right now because, you know, I've got one person saying, hey, you know, we want to do this. Uh, we want to incorporate NFTs into this project where we're going to do uh, an AR, VR, living history museum of, a, of some city's music history, right? That's kind of a, you know, and they're, they're multi-talented, they're filmmakers, they do this and that. So, you know, as a storyteller, think about how this adds to that palette. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm doing those kind of projects. I'm doing stuff with tangibles, especially trying to work on this provenance and in, in tangibles and in, in tethering with NFTs project. That's, that's, that's where I'm mainly focused these days. And I, I think that, yeah, and, and I love that you made that point because a lot of people feel like AR, VR just kind of was a fad and it faded off. The infrastructure wasn't there. I think now is where you see AR and VR, Oculus, things of that nature, just yeah. absolutely. Infrastructure, but also the technology, the, yeah. the devices, the, the chipsets, the um, low, low power, low cost, low energy consumption, you know, but, but very um, um, robust for encryption use cases, but also for visualization and 3D and things like that. I mean, we see that today. Like I work with an AR company that does AR showrooms for large brands. And they have a shop that models the models that go in those spaces, AR, VR rather, I'm sorry, not AR. Um, but then, you know, there are brands using AR like Target, right? You can go to the Target website and buy a chair. And before you buy the chair, you can get a QR code and take it onto your phone and bring it into your space and see how it's going to look in the space, right? And Target sees like a 40% increase in their click-throughs. On, on furniture and sales of those types of items because they're using that, right? But then they also use it internally to create like custom showrooms that they use to train their merchandise staff, 
So they don't have to fly someone out to every store. They don't have to send, you know, some, you know, I think we're going to do a part stuff two of out this there. Yeah, we should. Is... No, that's what I mean. Cause that's not NFTs. Yeah. That's, that's, that's AR VR, but there's an NFT story in there too. Yeah. Right. And this evolution of engagement, this evolution of, of, like you say, training, just the overall evolution, um, you know, we tended to, to go and a little theoretical, but in today's but now I can give someone an NFT for having passed that training that they can carry in their wallet. Right? Or I can go on LinkedIn and I can have some sort of token that verifies that I did volunteer at this. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. that, that, that token can become transportable. Um, and uh, in, across those contexts, potentially, if it's designed that way to allow that. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to another company um, that's working with, let's say it's a retail security company that happens to have technology that can, you know, as you might imagine with the cameras in the store, follow someone when they come in and all around the store and see what they do. And this particular company um, is a um, retail performance management company where they allow um, a customer to give sort of a, a, a response in terms of the customer service that they receive, that they can then tie back with the associate and turn that into training. But what they do is they analyze that data and see who the most successful associates are and train people to behave and work like the other associate down to the way that they can follow them around the store and see what they do. Go, let's say it's a clothing store, right? They go around, they fold clothes, right? That's like one of the jobs you have to do. Now, how do you gamify that, right? How do you turn that into incentives to train people to follow the cow path of others, the successful cow path of others, and build that out at scale? And do and that identifying the person, but also giving them potentially a, a credential that they can carry on and prove that um, acts in their, in their employment record, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, we're definitely going to do a part two because the, the the impacts of that are, and like we talked about, that evolution of, yeah. techno of technology, of adoptability, of, of cameras, A-B testing things, it's just going to exponentially explode, especially with- It's an IoT thing, yeah. right? It's an internet of things phenomenon, right? Because we're enabling more and more parts of our life with the technology that permits this capability and and- so that's why I, I say it's an IoT problem. Like, you know, in the provenance space where I talk about serial numbers that you're applying, right? If I can make those serial numbers smart and or intelligent and or tied to a, an immutable record, which we want them to be as serial numbers, um, that's an IoT um, um, fleet, right? Those numbers are just like sensors. Yeah. You know, so they act in that way. So the, the implications are limitless. And what we want to tell people is start doing some research, start putting some resources, even if it's the CEO or the COO or the CMO of an organization, start looking at ways this could be applied. Look at small implementation tests that you can do. Yeah, proofs uh, of concept, proof experiments. Mm -hmm. and, and just put a little bit of assets into it, a little bit of resources into it and have fun with it. And that's really where it is right now is have fun. Yeah, it is. Exactly. You can have fun with it. Um, it's early days. Um, you know, who'd have ever thought an asset like Bitcoin would go from pennies to over $60,000 a unit today, right? So so if you can take your, your, your mind there to where this kind of stuff can go and how it will yeah. mature, um, you know, yeah. there's lots of, lots of, lots of stuff in between here and there that you can play with, to have fun with, like you said, and, and, and innovate. Yeah. Well, so I really appreciate you many times. Cause I know you, 
I could see your brain going, let me slow this down. Let me slow this down. So <laughs> I, I appreciate you allowing us to rein you in and, uh, and, and, and you a little bit. Uh, let's definitely plan a part two and we'll put all this information and, and things that we've mentioned below the video. People can access it, look at it, contact you. And uh, for number two, we'll, we'll try to pick one thing that we focus down on and, and really tear apart so people can have yeah, a good understanding. Yeah, of the anatomy of uh, something. Exactly. Well, thanks, Nate. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you, Brandon. I always love it. Take care.